It was the best of times. It was the blast of times. <laughs> Falco, the luck dragon. dragon. <laughs> it was just orange juice and a raw egg. Who does that? <laughs> it's meant to be whimsical. <laughs> Welcome to episode three of Cursed or Blurst, and do we have a doozy for you? I'm not too sure. Do we have a doozy, Shannon? I think you're much more upset about this movie than I am. (laughs) (laughs) I think I was grateful for anything after Return to Oz. I miss the halcyon days of Pinocchio. (laughs) I think we've grown since Pinocchio. We've changed. We're different now. (laughs) Not for the better. (laughs) We, this week, watched The NeverEnding Story, which I was so looking forward to. Yeah, unlike Return to Oz, I'd actually seen this one as a child. And I thought that I had liked it, but couldn't remember anything that happened, and now I think I know why. (laughs) (laughs) Some things are blocked out for a reason. (laughs) I, as I mentioned in the last podcast kind of semi-watched this movie while I was learning how to crack my knuckles. My neighbour was teaching me how to crack my knuckles. I think I derived more joy from that than I ever did from the never-ending story, because I didn't remember anything from it. Yeah, and I think I remembered that the protagonist was called Atreyu. I did not remember that there were two little boys in the movie. I remembered the luck dragon because I think those tiny little white dogs with the smushed faces look a bit like the luck dragon. They and do. And my neighbor had one growing oh, up. Oh, your neighbor had a luck dragon. Yes, exactly. Lucky. But that's the only things that I remembered from the movie. And I think that's the best thing to remember. And the theme song. The theme song is good. The theme song is a jam, and we started off on such a high note. The movie starts with the theme song, and you think, this is going to be a party from start to finish. It was horrible 80s pastel hellscape, the whole thing. (laughs) No, I think to be fair, the theme song is the most 80s thing. It's just synth pop. Like, it couldn't have prepared us better for how 80s that movie was. I'm glad time has progressed. (laughs) I'm never usually that happy to be in the year of our Lord 2019. (laughs) But boy, am I glad. At least it's not the 80s. Should we just dive in to to the nightmare scenario that is the never-ending story? The never-ending story opens with the hero of the piece... Bastian Balthazar Bucks, the child. (laughs) That's his full name, Bastian Balthazar Bucks. Which is never said in the movie. Just Bastian. Just Bastian said once by his father, and we fully thought his name was Sebastian for like two-thirds of the movie. Yeah. He he doesn't have a very good life, does Bastian. His dad makes protein shakes. His mom is dead. You know... Those are our two facts about Bastian... (laughs) He goes to school and is chased by bullies yeah. into um, a, a bin a, a, mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in an alley. And then they chase him again, and he ends up in the library of an old man. I think, he's in, I think it's a bookshop. Oh, is it? It's just got a sign that says, no children allowed. <laughs> which is not a great way to sell books. 
what if it's what if it's all erotic literature? <laughs> and the never ending story. And that's the never it. ending story. The old, that, that can be whatever you want it to be. <laughs> never ending orgy. Sadly, it's not. No. And not nearly as exciting. So, uh, yeah, in in the bookstore, he gets into it. He gets into a really weird conversation with the guy, right? Yeah, because the guy, it is very eighties, but it's also very like a baby boomer who sees you on a cell phone one time, where <laughs> um, he gives this this little speech about how Bastion is a kid, so he must like his... I was going to say Xbox, but this is definitely pre-Xbox days, so I don't remember what he said, but some sort of gaming device. And your TV. And then Bastion shouts a list of every book he's read, and the old man's like, oh, well, you're an intellectual. (laughs) You can come into the shop now. You know, he's got a point, though. If I were a kid and I had been reading books instead of playing Roller Coaster Tycoon ad nauseum, maybe I would have read Moby Dick. <laughs> Was Moby Dick on, on Bastion's list or just yours? I had no list. I don't read books like a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, so he, he, he presents Bastion with a book that is potentially too dangerous. Yeah. It requires too much imagination. He will find himself lost in the book if he's not careful. Sebastian steals it because he's a bad boy. Mm-hmm. And he leaves a little note that says, don't worry, I'll bring back your book. <laughs> and the man just smiles kindly like this is this was meant to happen. He never brings that book back. Not to our knowledge. Not to our knowledge. What you can hear now is wine being poured. <laughs> We're two scenes in. It's going to be a long night. Hit me with the next scene. Hit me with the next scene. He goes to the school. He goes back to school and realizes he's late for a maths test. Mm. Uh, so he does the only logical thing in that situation and runs straight up to the attic full of skeletons, taxidermied animals, cobwebs, candles, weapons, a wolf head on a stick. Yeah. And says to himself, all right, I'm... Um, Gonna camp out here while the test happens and start reading this big tome. Every ending story. Every time he's in the attic, I have to remind myself this is the attic of like an elementary school. Yeah. It looks like the attic of a old man's house or something. It's just full of random garbage. Yeah. What is it doing in the school? I think to an extent hiding some Halloween decorations. There's skeletons in there. There are skeletons. Well, you could use those in a biology lab. But skeletons made more sense than the taxidermy to me. Right. You could use those in a biology lab. It's true. When in the attic, he opens a book and uh, starts reading what is bound to be the greatest story you have ever heard. And us who we have heard it. It opens on a sort of campsite scene. There's a man wearing a top hat. There's this goblin guy who yells and doesn't do much else. Mm -hmm. There's a snail. A racing snail. A racing snail that's giant. And this is this really stupid bat. Um, and they're enjoying themselves. They're, you know, eating and being merry, I think. And then they are interrupted by a rock giant mm-hmm. who comes in riding a rock scooter. It looks like the Flintstones car, but without the little canopy on the top. Yeah. And then he says, 
I'm a rock-eating giant, I'm gonna eat your rocks. Eat some of their rocks. And after some confusion, they think, oh, this is just his deal, we can trust him. Do you want to tell the folks your beef with the rocks? What was my beef with the rocks? That he ate a piece and he was like, ooh, limestone. It wasn't limestone. <laughs> limestone with a dash of quartz. Yeah! <laughs> All my geology folks out there will hopefully back me up. And no, to be honest, like I'm probably going to have one person be like, well, actually, <laughs> quartz can appear in limestone from time to time. Whatever, I don't care about your opinion, nerds. <laughs> um, so why is the rock-eating giant there? Well, he's escaping plague that has been ravaging his land, called the Nothing, which is this kind of creeping void which is eating up sections of this fantasy land called Fantasia. Yeah, in the book it's called Fantastica, which I think would have been less confusing than yeah. Fantasia. Which just kept making me wish I was watching Fantasia. God, yeah. Um, so in order to figure out a way to resolve this blight on the land, they decide to travel to the Ivory Tower, which is the heart, the administrative heart of Fantasia, to seek the counsel of the childlike empress, mm -hmm. who is in control of the realm. Um, but sadly... She is sick, and the spokesman says that there is only one cure for her sickness. He doesn't say what it is, but he does know who can resolve who the problem. Who can find this? Yes. How we know who he knows who this is, whom, whoever <laughs> it could be. Hmm. <laughs> who knows? Do you want to take another pass at that? No, I don't want to take another pass at that. <laughs> Nothing will be edited out. <laughs> Apart from all the stuff that we have edited out already. Yeah, so he he um, calls for the one true saviour of Fantasia, who is Shannon's favourite character, Atreyu. The one character I could remember the name of from the first time I watched it. Atreyu is a buffalo herdsman who's yeah. a child. Yeah, he's like maybe 11 or 12. Yeah, he turns up. And everyone's like, ha ha ha, a child. Their empress is a child. Their empress is a little baby child. <laughs> well, she's childlike. Yeah, maybe she's ageless, I don't know. Well, so might Atreyu be, and his noble steed, the horse, who <laughs> has a name. What is the horse's name? He shouts it a lot. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't either. <laughs> we don't have to worry about that for too long. <laughs> um, Spoilers ahead. <laughs> so Atreyu sets off on a voyage to find the cure I don't think he has a map. He doesn't know what he's looking for or what the cure is. But on his uh, way, he sees a lot of scenery, mostly plains, yeah. bit of jungle, bit of swamp. Meanwhile, we are told through Bastion's book that the Nothing has employed the services of Gamork the Wolf. <laughs> real name Gamork. Yeah. Let, we'll just call him Mark for the duration of the podcast because I cannot be asked. <laughs> when we were watching the film he said his name and I already at least one gin in said what did he say? And Elise said Mark. Yeah his name is Gamork. I'm a, I'm a self-respecting adult. I'm not going to go around calling this wolf Gamork. <laughs> so as this character is introduced, uh, in the real world, 
in the world of the school attic, the wolf head on a stick nearly falls upon Bastion and he screams. Because a wolf head on a stick is... Okay, no school is complete without a wolf head on a stick. Really, like, did I even get an education? That's what I was wondering. Where was my wolf head? That was the punishment in my school. It's like, oh, you're naughty. You have to go and, like, stand in a supply cupboard with the wolf head on a stick and just think about your actions for a while. Unaware of the release of Gamak, (laughs) Atreyu stumbles into the Swamp of Sadness. Which is a really beautiful studio set. It is. It's yeah. just, um, uh, it looks like World War One No Man's Land. It does. It's quite grim and it's covered in fog to disguise the fact that it's studio set. Though I think this is as good a point as any to point out that the production value in this movie is fantastic. Yes. The actual built sets and everything are... Do you want to hear a fun fact I about this built set in a second? I very much want to hear a fun fact. If you've watched The NeverEnding Story, you may have been traumatized by a scene where the horse succumbs to the sadness of the Swamp of Sadness and refuses to move away from the quicksand and starts to sink. Now, Atreyu seems to be yelling things to suggest that the horse could move if it wanted to, and that this is definitely a proxy for depression or something like that. This is where one of the main contenders for villain of the piece rears its ugly head, and it's depression. Depression. So to get the horse to sink, they actually built some moving levels in the underneath the mud. Mm-hmm. Um, like a sort of elevator thing that the horse moved down. Uh, there was an urban legend that the horse actually died during this section of filming. Oh my god. Um, but the horse... Did not die in real life, <laughs> but the actor playing Atreyu um, was kicked in the head by the horse oh my during God. this scene. That's super dangerous. Nearly drowned on multiple occasions because of the moving levels in the swamp. That poor kid. Yeah, the horse was fine, but Atreyu will never recover. Jeez. So Atreyu is very sad because his horse is dead. And this is like a long scene. You have to spend so long watching this horse drown. And we've spent very little time with Atreyu or the horse at this point. So it, it, it is played like... It's played a bit like the bit in Lord of the Rings where Sam has to send the pony Bill home. But we've been with him for two solid hours at that point. Yeah. Um, here we've been with Atreyu and a horse. But we did share a very touching moment between Atreyu the horse and Bastion, who was reading about this. At one point, Atreyu says, Oh, what's up, horse? Oh, are you hungry? Oh, let's get food. That's a good idea. In the real world, Bastion says, No, that's a great idea, and takes a bite of his sandwich and then is like, Wait, I need to ration this for the journey ahead. (laughs) All right, Bastion. (laughs) It was... At that point, I was still holding out hope that the movie would be cute. Like, the bit with the rock giant put me off. I like a good rock giant as much as anyone, but it was very weird that he was both made of rock and eating rocks. Yes. Second week in a row, we've had that. Yeah, that's a good point. In uh, in Return to Oz, the Gnome King feeds Dorothy limestone cakes Mm -hmm. and molten silver. That looks more delicious than the rocks in this movie. Yeah. But Gnome King, also made of rocks, eating rocks. Yes. Very weird. It is very weird. Well, cannibalism is frowned upon in human society, but... But not in rock giant society. Rock giants live by different rules. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, so Atreyu, horseless and sad, is stumbling through the swamp of sadness. But it's okay, because he finds a mystical being called Morla the Ancient One, because of course that's her name. Yep. Morla is a giant turtle who I don't know what her purpose is. I think he thinks that she will has that she will have um the cure. I don't know how he knew to look for her. They just kind of said, Go find the cure, Atreyu, and gave him no further instruction. They gave him a necklace. They gave him a necklace That's with all he needs. The little, little intertwined snakes on it, like on the cover of Bastion's book. It's all Ooh. connected. Okay, so Mola says that she does not have the cure. If he wants the cure, he needs to go and find a southern oracle, but that is thousands of miles away in a different hemisphere, and it's not worth the effort. And he says, you can't be so, you know, downbeat, Mola. The world will end. You'll be, you know, eaten by the nothing. And she says, oh, well, that's something at least. It's just, it's a weird encounter with the turtle. He spends a lot of it falling off of a tree. Like, she keeps sneezing and he's blown (laughs) over into the mud. I feel for this child actor. (laughs) Yeah. He's got more trials and tribulations to come in this film. Um, More medical emergencies, too, actually. (laughs) Oh, that poor kid. Um, so, it's okay, he, he, you know, is still resolved to find a cure, and just before dying of exhaustion is saved by the only character I could remember from the first time I watched this, Falcor, the, the Luck, Luck Dragon, Dragon. <laughs> which, yeah, is one of those smushed-faced dogs, but elongated, mm-hmm. and kind of, as you were mentioning, in the style of a Chinese dragon, but wrong. Yeah, I think I said this while we were watching the movie. The real villain in this movie is cultural appropriation. And second to that, depression. And second to that, it's depression. Any actual antagonist pales in comparison to those two things. They've, like, clearly tried to appropriate some, like, indigenous North American culture with what they did with Atreyu's character, but didn't really put much effort into it at all. No. And then with the luck dragon, they were, like, it was someone who had had a Chinese illustration of a dragon described to them once. (laughs) And then just freehand made a puppet. Yep. It's a big set piece, though, come to think of it. Yeah, an impressive set piece. Yeah. Despite the gross tongue thing it does. (laughs) I missed that. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it sticks out its tongue and it's, Like, it's a puppet. Don't do that. Hey, I think we've established some things in the last three weeks, Shannon, which is that puppets are bad. (laughs) Maybe puppets are bad. Maybe if you're thinking of putting a puppet in your movie, if you can't resurrect Jim Henson to do it for you, don't fucking bother. (laughs) (laughs) Kermit would have made this movie so much better. Just sitting on a log singing Rainbow Connection in the Sadness Swamp. In the Sadness Swamp. Um, (laughs) So the Luck Dragon picks up Atreyu, escorts him to somewhere very far away. We don't really know where. Um, And on waking up, Atreyu meets two friendly goblins. The one who is, I think her name is the Wench, and the other one who is the Science One. They're married, I think. I think. Or she's his maid, it's unclear. Yeah. She's rejuvenated him with potions and soup. And he is a scientist and keeps on telling people as such. Yeah. That's how I operate. That's how you do science. I am a scientist. 
and I do... The trick to doing science is just to tell people that you're a scientist all the time. I should have been doing that all along. Then I could have gone undercover as a scientist. <laughs> but you didn't, did you, you I... wench? <laughs> <laughs> you're either a scientist or you're a wench in this world. <laughs> There's winners and losers, scientists and wenches. <laughs> um, and the science goblin uh, shows Atreyu some nearby scenery which is very relevant to his interests because uh, beyond this barrier lies the secret of the cure. What is the barrier, you ask? Well, it's two giant sphinxes. Once again, the real villain, cultural appropriation, comes roaring in there. That will only let you pass their gate if you have good self-esteem. And if you don't, you get vaporized to death. <laughs> With lasers. This movie, yeah. like, plays a very fine line between Lord of the Rings-style high fantasy and it's the 80s and we can do laser effects now. It, it just really plays skip rope with that line. It shocked me. I didn't realize they were going to vaporize people. Yeah. You do see a man get vaporized. He's, he's a knight, shining armor, got a nice horse. He's trotting through, looking very confident. But he just hates himself just that tiny little bit. Zap. Zap, right from the eyes of these sphinxes. <laughs> Only self-love in this realm, thank you. Um, so Atreyu passes through without much of a problem. Mm -hmm. Well, they he try tries to doubt himself and then sort of jumps out of the way of the lasers. Which, so the answer to this is if you have bad self-esteem, just run. Because mm -hmm. you're gonna be quicker than the lasers. Mm -hmm. They do take a while to warm up. When I play laser tag, I always attack people who seem to have low self-esteem. <laughs> <laughs> the only way to play laser tag. <laughs> And if you hit them once, then they, they're going to have low self-esteem for the next time. Exactly, so it's a positive feedback You just cycle. stand there and wait until the vest stops flashing and get them again. The never-ending laser tag. <laughs> that would have been a better movie. So he's through the Sphinx Gates, and the next challenge is to have an encounter with the Mirror of Truth. The Mirror of Truth is a boring mirror of Erised, yeah. where you can see your true self. And you might not like what you see. Because you might secretly be evil, I think is what the science gnome says. Yeah. But it's, there's no real big revelation here. <laughs> there is. Because when Atreyu looks into the mirror, who does he see? Bas Bastian Balthazar Bucks. I say it's not a revelation because legitimately I thought they were the same character the first time I saw this movie. I mm. And I also, um, it took me a while in this movie to realize that it was not the same actor playing both kids. Because mm. uh, that was my memory of it, uh, that it was the same actor playing both of them. It ought to have been. And it was like a self-insert kind of a choose-your-own-adventure novel was my memory of the story, that like Bastion yeah. was actively deciding what happened, but that is not what it's about at all, so I think maybe I just wrote a better version of it in my head. But I can see how you thought that, because there are several instances where something gets mentioned and that triggers Bastion to say, oh, how do they know? I've been dreaming about this. 
Mm-hmm. I've dreamt about this dragon. I dreamt about that horse. Which we never see. No. We, all we know is that his dad likes protein shakes and his mum's dead. Yeah, we spent a whole 30 seconds watching his father make a travesty of a protein shake in a blender. He it just was eggy. cracks an egg into the blender. I know people do that, but it was very distracting. <laughs> it was just orange juice and a raw egg. Who does that? <laughs> and then he just drinks the whole thing on camera. While trying to have a meaningful discussion with his son about the death of his mother, and he's just drinking this egg juice. That's the morning process. That's bereavement for you. Bereavement is you just crack an egg into a blender, and you blend it real good, like a solid 30 seconds until it's gross and frothy. It represents his cracked heart becoming gross and frothy. And then you tell your son to get over the death of his mother. Poor Bastion. And now he has to contend with the fact that he's apparently mirrored with Atreyu in Fantasia. Yeah. A world that is dying. Yes. This world that we love so much. This world that we had to really work hard to watch and not text during. Yeah. It was at this point in the film that I said... Dear God, I hope something interesting happens. How are we going to do a podcast about this? But sit tight. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Um, So he's seen the mirror. He didn't freak out. He can continue. And he continues on to see the Southern Oracle, which is kind of the same deal as a Sphinx. It's two women, right? Yeah, it's the the Sphinxes, but blue. I feel like they Mm. just had one set piece. Just had like a copy-paste and... And like copy-pasted the CGI effect and just like turned them. They look like they're... They're meant to look like they're made out of ice. They look blue. Yes. They tell Atreyu that they do not have the cure, but the cure lies in an unsuspecting source. Because you see... The childlike empress is sick because she has no name, and this is tied in with the nothing. And if a human child on Earth can give the childlike empress a name, then all will be resolved. She just needs a name, but Atreya can't give it to her. It's got to be an Earth child. nonsensical laughter. <laughs> I know why we're laughing. <laughs> God, this movie was a nightmare. Um, oh. And the nightmare continues, because just as he's received this information, uh, the nothing appears and eats the oracles and eats all the desert. But it's okay because Falcor saves Atreyu again. Yes. How does Falcor get through the gate? Oh, he can just fly over the top. Yeah. Well, why didn't Atreyu fly over with him? Which is what you said when Atreyu was walking through the gate in the first place. Yeah. And I don't know, Falcor was just taking a nap and weirdly getting injections from the gnome. Yeah, uh, when we last saw Falcor, he was getting Botox. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like a giant needle the size of the gnome, and they never explain it. It's meant to be whimsical. (laughs) Whimsy. I like, in this film. I like all my whimsy to involve medical tests <laughs> and injections. That's why you like Return to Oz so much. It is. You like the electroshock therapy. That was just an excellent, an excellent use of my time. Just watching <laughs> Return to Oz. I'm not scarred at all. Can you hear the wine being poured again? That's what you've driven us to. 
Maybe instead of having an opening musical piece, we can have, like, just wine being poured. Necessary. Okay, so, Falcor flies Atreyu over the Southern Oracle world into some ruins. So he's now in some ruins somewhere. Because it crash-landed. It's not very clear. Mm -hmm. I was also kind of on my phone. Yeah, I missed this bit. Um, we got very bored. Falco lands in the sea. Atreyu is in this ruined citadel. Um, and um, it's just a complete wasteland. We see a dead rock giant. No, dying. He's dying. He's mourning the loss of his friends. Top Hat Man, Goblin Man, Giant Racing Snail, snail. Racing snail and, and that, that stupid, stupid bat. bat. That's what they... they, they <laughs> The bat is, can I just, can I just say, there's this giant bat that one of them flies around on, and the characters are constantly disparaging this bat by saying, the stupid bat! No one talks about my stupid bat! It's fine. Yeah, the bat never does anything to earn this. No. And now he's dead. And now he's dead. So that's what you get for calling him that stupid bat. And we see the, um, the rock giant die slowly on screen, but that's, whatever. I don't, don't care about seeing that. rocks die. This movie goes through your head like water through a sieve. It is so difficult to hold on to details about it. People like this movie. Who? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Under what circumstances? Gunpoint? <laughs> was it like you have to watch this or die? And you're like, sure, never ending story. And it was like really great in comparison to dying. <laughs> what was the context? to shit on someone's childhood like this but but this was my childhood and I still think it's bad <laughs> yeah. I think the entire I, I told you this I think the entire bit in the third season of Stranger Things where they sing the never ending story song is a much better version of the never ending story than this actual movie mm, yeah. with just that two minute clip I could have watched that happily and not this movie at all <laughs> I feel like I should watch Stranger Things just to just to get some joy out of the never-ending story. Yeah. For that reason alone. Yeah, it gets it gets bleak at this point. So there's just dead stuff everywhere. And the Treyu just, you know, he is he's feeling bleak, he's feeling hopeless, he has failed, and he knows it. He's failed because they put the fate of the world on a 12-year-old. They did not tell him a single drop of information. In a way more obvious way than normally happens in fantasy, because you get, like, the kids who are swept up into a story, but they're fully just like, Atreyu, solve this, and no one else does anything. <laughs> <laughs> and we nearly lose Atreyu here. Because hidden in the ruins is my favourite character, Mark. (laughs) Mark the evil wolf, who does a lot of chatting before he lunges. Mm -hmm. And when he's chatting to Atreyu, he says that he was brought forth by the nothing to kill Atreyu. He's just been waiting to do so. Uh, They're the last two living creatures on the earth, I guess apart from Falcor. And that... Fantasia was only being kept alive by human imagination. The whole realm was a product of human imagination. And now, because that's crumbling, it's being killed via the nothing. This is a bit where I started to get very annoyed. (laughs) (laughs) And after that 
chit-chat, Mark lunges at Atreyu, and you think, this is going to be a big, epic fight. But no, Atreyu instantly stabs him. But we don't see that. We just see a dead wolf on the floor with a knife dead, through him. Dead puppet wolf. Dead puppet wolf. And again, if you're not Jim Henson, stop making puppets. This is the scene of the second me- medical emergency. Oh no, what happened? Atreyu nearly lost his eye. Oh my god. Getting lunged at by the wolf puppet. That This poor child. <laughs> he didn't deserve this. He didn't. He was just trying to be in a movie. <laughs> they also tried to, as a gift, give him the horse, but they couldn't send it over the border of wherever they were sending it from. So the horse had to like go to his horse sanctuary, and this kid was a promised a horse, and he wasn't given one. I hate when I'm promised a horse, and I'm not given one. Yeah. It's not fair. It's the worst. Um, but yeah, he nearly lost an eye, so... But he did. He, he did. He was absolutely a okay. Also, Atreyu was meant to be green. The character was meant to be green. Did they just not have the budget for the body paint, or like? I don't know why they chose not to make him green. Me- meant to be green as in he's green in the book, or they were originally doing that in concept art for the film. Yeah, who the heck knows? <laughs> I have some light dirt on the book that I'll explain later. I am excited to hear the dirt <laughs> on the book. I think that I've read it, but again, the plot just goes through your head like water. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> this movie is a time and a half. Actually, I think it's only half a time. I shouldn't give it that much credit. <laughs> I think I'm less traumatized by it than I was by Return to Oz, but I'm still not, like, loving it. No, I much preferred Return to Oz. Stuff happened in that. There were stakes. Return to Oz gave me nightmares. There were character dynamics. The wheelers messed me up. Mm. This doesn't give... No, I don't have nightmares from this, but I just... It was bland. It left me with a bad taste in my mouth Mm -hmm. because of this next section coming up. I'm pointing at my laptop, just so you know. I'm on edge. I'm accusatory by nature right now. You were so rattled. I was really rattled. Right, so after slaying poor Gamark, the luck dragon again picks up Atreyu and flies him into space. Out of space. (laughs) This is one of those moments where they're like, we're high fantasy, but also lasers. (laughs) Space. Now, I don't know if they're traveling into space or that space is all that there is left. Because they find the ivory tower still standing on a meteorite. And that makes me think, has the rest of the planet been gobbled up by the nothing? I think that's what Falcor says. Because there's like rocks floating by them and it's like the bits of the world Mm. of Fantasia. And then it's just the tower that's standing. I love that it's unironically called the ivory tower. I thought, as soon as they were like, the ivory tower, I thought these are going to be the bad guys. And they're not. They're definitely not. The authority is large and in charge in a good way in this movie. They don't really do anything. They just send boys off on missions without much of a uh, plan. Yeah. But he, he's now there. He's now returning to the childlike empress who is still alive. She's looking quite, she's, she is looking kind of sick. Mm-hmm. And he says, I'm so sorry, childlike empress. I failed you. And she says, not to worry. <laughs> You haven't failed me yet, Atreyu. She doesn't sound like that. No, she doesn't. I'm going to continue. Atreyu says, I have. I, I couldn't find an earth child. I, 
there's no way for me to pass beyond the bounds of Fantasia. And she says, oh, but there is. <laughs> you see, there's a, chill, there's a human child boy currently reading the story of your adventure right now, Atreyu. He believes in you, and others are privy to his story too, and they're all willing us on, aren't they? She means us. She's trying to drag us, the audience, into this. I get that in-universe, Bastion is, you know, emotionally connected to Atreyu, and you know, has been dreaming a lot of the same things. He's invested. He's camping out in his school attic, which is stayed out overnight because he doesn't care what his dad thinks. His dad's too busy with his protein shakes or whatever. Yeah, but we never see his dad again <laughs> after the first scene. The fact that she's doing a sort of like little wink to the camera and saying, and others are privy to Bastion's story too. Listen, I don't want to be privy to Bastion's story. I'm watching this for a podcast. <laughs> I think that was the type of line that was meant to play to like an audience full of children in the 80s and not too tipsy people in their mid-twenties. Well, this sobered me up. <laughs> I did not give my consent. I, listen, I like audience participation. I like it. If I'm going to a pantomime or a stand-up thing, and if I'm sat in the right place, I know what's coming. I know I might get pulled upon. I don't mind that. I don't mind immersive theatre. We went to a, we went to Midsummer Night's Dream um, walk-around. It was a sort of like walk-around immersive version of Midsummer Night's Dream. And I got married twice. I got married twice to members of the audience. I love that. I signed up for it. I signed up for it. I paid money to do so. I paid for those weddings. <laughs> and you you knocked those weddings out of the park. I, I had a nice chat with Oberon. That was fun. Yeah. I generally hate audience participation. That Midsummer Night's Dream was very good, though. This is a production we saw in Vancouver, Canada, uh, when we were doing our master's, mm -hmm. um, and it was, like, in a park. Yeah, but you could walk into the park, and you knew you were going to be talked to. Exactly. You're not and they like... gave you a little ribbon to wear. If you, if you wore the ribbon, then you were A-OK -okay with being called upon. Mm -hmm. If you were not wearing the ribbon, they would leave you alone. It was I great. I was not wearing a ribbon when I was watching the never-ending story. No, we were fully in our pajamas. That childlike empress ripped me into this terrible movie as if I cared about the fate of Fantasia. I say, let it be destroyed by the nothing. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not worth it. There are so many other fantasy universes that are much better than this. Here, let's put our effort into clapping to save Tinkerbell. Yes. Um... Because I did not want to be a part of this one. No. It, and, and just for people listening, I've been doing a lot of waving one arm around during this. She is incensed. I'm incensed. And, oh god, it continues. So Atreyu is like, oh, well, if he was there the whole time, this human child, then why hasn't he helped us yet? How dare he? And the childlike emperor says, no, if we believe in him, then he will believe in us, and he will he will name me and help save the day. Bastion's reading this like, what the hecky, <laughs> Becky. <laughs> There's That's a, a lot of hard cuts between this conversation and Bastion reading the book, going, what? <laughs> <laughs> and then me being like, <laughs> let Mark eat me. I don't want to be part of this. So um, they call out to Bastion. Um, in the meantime, I think Atreyu dies. 
Does he? He gets disappeared by the nothing. It's mm-hmm. only the childlike empress at the end. Oh. And when it gets to a peak, Bastion, he knows the name he's going to give the childlike empress. Because earlier in the movie, when they say a name needs to be given by a human child, Bastion, it cuts to Bastion in the attic. And he goes, I wish they'd ask me. My mother had the most beautiful name. His mother has died. We've mentioned this already. He just says it with this, like, she had the most beautiful name. And it doesn't say what it is. But he is prepared to say it this time around. prepped. He runs to the window. It's raining outside. There's a storm. He opens a window. He sticks his head outside of the window and yells into the sky, Moonchild! Moonchild. We had to Google this because we couldn't hear him. Do you want um, to hear a fun fact about this, Shannon? I do. Is that it wasn't scripted. The actor was given free reign... To pick a name? To yell a name at the sky. Any name. Yeah, he was... They were not gonna... They wanted it to be obscured. Oh. So it was a mystery. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe even so that we, the audience, could have given her a name. Mm-hmm. I wanted her to be Shabatha, if you remember. <laughs> Shabatha! <laughs> the childlike empress. I wanted Kim. Cursed <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> <cast> or blessed. <laughs> Chime off in the comments. What would you name the childlike empress? <laughs> Um, so as soon as she's named, all the rumbling stops, and Bastion is brought face to face to the, with the childlike empress in Fantasia, and she kind of gives him some wishes. Yeah. He's the savior of the realm. And she is apparently magic. So you're thinking, wow, we're gonna have like a whole like, you know, end of movie, but fairly longish sequence of the cool stuff he does. He first decides to fly around on Falpor. He restores Fantasia. Yes. In his defense. Everyone is alive again. Even Mark. Even even Mark. Do we I see so. Mark? Just this wolf corpse lying in the grass. No, Gamork is dead. Long live Mark. <laughs> Mark is just Gamork, but reanimated with a better attitude. He is now an agent of light. He's prowling around looking to do good deeds. <laughs> it's like a Sell you a chair. Down. <laughs> He'll be turned into a human when he's finished doing all these good deeds in Fantasia. <laughs> I'd like a spin-off movie about Mark the Wolf. Yeah. <laughs> but then he flies around on the back of Falcor mm-hmm. and he sees classic characters such as Atreyu. The rock giant. Does he see the stupid bat? He does. Oh. They're all there and they all wave at him like they know who he is. These beloved characters who we've known for about maybe like the first five minutes of this, the Fantasia part of the movie. And then are never in it again. What is the point of them? No, I thought from the trailer they'd be a much bigger deal. And they, they don't actually do anything. They just explain the stakes, like the nothing. Yeah. But that like as individuals are not implicated in the plot at all. Like, Atreyu never meets them. He doesn't. I don't think Atreyu gets any rewards for what he's done. No, well, his horse is back. His horse is back. Um, that's it. Bastion gets all the rewards, and all he did was read a book in an attic. And remember his Atreyu nearly drowned in a swamp. (laughs) He nearly had his eye poked out by a wolf. 
No, he gets nothing. <laughs> but the last thing that happens is that Bastion is allowed to fly Falcor back to Earth. Oh, yeah. And he's flying through the streets of the city, terrorizing local bullies. Just jump into the dumpster themselves. Poetic justice. It's very poetic. That's kind of like, there's ramifications to bringing a dragon into a city. There is, yeah. But we never really stay to unpack that. Yeah, and as we know that when you bring a dragon to a city with bad intentions, that's a war crime. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to get into this again. We're not going to turn this into a Game of Thrones discourse podcast. Who the hell's talking about Game of Thrones? (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those other cities with dragon fire and war crimes. Uh... (laughs) And then he says, Dracarys and the bullies are toast. (laughs) We never get confirmation that Falcor the Luck Dragon breathes fire. <laughs> Sadly, no. Mm-hmm. I bet I bet he can. Probably. And that's it, that's the movie. And in the credits, they credit, you know, all the characters that we see on screen. You know who doesn't get credited? Us, the audience. Didn't we have a role to play by being moral support by Bastion, whether we liked it or not? No, we did not. We did not like it. We did not want to be a part of it. Now as incensed as I got by that whole section, by being brought in as an unwilling participant, and I was unwilling. Yes. This was the only part of the movie that engaged me. Yeah, this is fully. when we stopped pretending we weren't texting. Yeah. And put down our phones. And became livid. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, good move, I suppose, if, you, if engagement is your goal. When I was reading the plot again, when I was reminding myself of the plot, I couldn't remember all the stuff about the sphinxes and those goblins and that stupid bat. Mm-hmm. What I did remember was how angry I felt at the time. Yeah. The enemies I made along the way. When namely the childlike Empress Moonchild. <laughs> when you sent me the, the plot document, and we watched this movie, what day is it, Wednesday? Yeah. We watched it Sunday night. The entire plot was just gone from my head. I had to reread the entire plot synopsis (laughs) before sitting down to talk about it. Yeah. And I think it's because it is just so boring. (laughs) The sets are objectively quite beautiful. Like, they're well made, and the... Death traps. Death traps, apparently. And the, like, the prosthetics on the, like, the actors being, like, goblins and stuff are quite good. Yeah. Um, the dragon is quite beautiful yeah. when you're not looking at its face. Yeah. Uh, it does some, in some shots, it looks like a flying sperm. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when he's in space and you can see him flying yes, towards sorry. the white meteorite that looks like an egg. <laughs> and from there, a new Fantasia is born. Coincidence? Probably. This is... I don't understand why this is a childhood beloved classic. I don't... I'm not as disturbed as I was by Return to Oz or Pinocchio even. Like, I'm, I miss the coherence and the simplicity of Pinocchio, but that yeah. was, like, insidiously disturbing. This was not really. There weren't any implications like child kidnapping. Yeah. Other than there was depression. There was depression as a major villain. There was lots of cultural appropriation. Mm -hmm. And there was just nothing 
Nothing, I guess. Oh, <laughs> nothing. The true villain of the piece. The nothing. Uh, I think I really regret dunking Pinocchio so hard. I regret it so much. I sort of regret dunking Return to Oz so hard. Is this your worst one yet? I, well, it depends on how you can, how you define worst. Am I engaged? Yeah. I see. I would put this one above Return to Oz. Would you? Return to Oz upset me on a visceral level. Mm. I was so upset watching Return to Oz. I don't don't think I'd put it above Pinocchio, though, which kept me, like, in it. I was very engaged by Pinocchio. Yeah. But also horrified. Pinocchio has characters you can get behind. Yeah. This does not. But I will give it... It does look better and is a bit better acted than Return to Oz. This is true. Which looks like a much older movie, but it's not. Yeah. It was filmed a year afterwards, wasn't it? Return to Oz, yeah, was filmed in 85, I think. Mm. And um, Never Ending Story was 84. Like the Return to Oz, the Never Ending Story is a book adaptation. Yeah. And you know who was really against a book adaptation? The author, Mike Monday, he was campaigning really hard against the movie being made because he didn't think they would do it justice, and he took it to court and was destroyed in court. How did that happen? Who owned the rights to the story? The publishing company? (laughs) I don't know the answer to that question. (laughs) I'm Um, here for the hard-hitting journalistic questions. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> about copyright law. And I've done a slapdash Google job. Um, no, yeah, he was like, kind of anti it and he regretted, he just resented the movie ever like, since, Is since it then. significantly different than the book? I don't know. I don't remember the book. Maybe I should reread it. Just be warned, you might get pulled in to participate. I might be a participant. And will you get cited as a co-author? No. <sighs> I won't get paid either. No. I, th- I feel that the version of this that existed in my head where Bastion is reading a choose-your-own-adventure novel and he's the protagonist in the fantasy bits is a better movie than what we watched. Yeah. Because that is definitely what I remember the movie being. I found a correlation between... Okay, so the same people who say they really like the never-ending story also really recommend Bridge to Terabithia. Oh. And I refuse to watch that. Because I don't trust people's judgment if they say they're like the never-ending story. In the fourth grade, my teacher used to read us a chapter of a book. At the end of every day, um, we'd read one chapter as a class, and Bridge to Terabithia was one of them. Mm-hmm. And that messed me up. Like, a whole classroom full of fourth graders just sobbing. <laughs> Oh my god. And uh, I think I did watch the movie, but it took me a while because I was still traumatized from the book. It's very sad. Yeah. I know what the sad bit is. So now I'm like, although, as we've learned, knowing that something creepy will happen does not necessarily prepare you for the horrors of the thing. (laughs) I, 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 I think we need things coming up that are less bleak than this. But before we get on to that, just quick fire, favorite character. Um, jeez. I gotta go with, uh, Mark. Yeah, I was thinking Mark. Mark or the bookseller? Oh, the the angry old bookseller. I was gonna go with Mark or Falcor. 
Farquaad's not bad. Farquaad's a cool name. I don't hate the rock giant. I hated the rock giant. <laughs> I very much hate I didn't hate the guy with the racing snail. He was very nice to his racing snail, unlike the goblin with the bat. The, that stupid bat. That stupid bat. He's <laughs> not very encouraging to the bat. But the the man, the top hat man was very nice to the racing snail. Yes. So he was fine. He was A-okay. The dad was a villain, because that's too many eggs in one protein shake. Yep. Yep. It was just an egg and orange juice. That was all that was in there. <laughs> Still a shake. Wait, how many things do you need in a drink for it to be a shake? I just feel like you need to not be a psychopath. Like, <laughs> why would you do that? Well, I've not... I've put a piece tr- of fruit in there. Well, Dear God. Knock it Some kale. I don't know. The more I think about it, the more I think we should maybe just try the... Egg and orange egg juice. And orange juice. What's good for breakfast? Orange juice. Eggs. Combine the two. I, I've never dr- drunk an egg. Me neither. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's time. No, I've had... um. I've had, like, an old-fashioned that had the egg whites on the top. Well, I, ca- I take it back. The dad is not a villain. <laughs> <laughs> he just cares about his bod. Uh-huh. Cursed or blessed? That is the question. Shannon? I don't know, because it, it's not as... It's not as insidious as the last two. It's just boring. Mm. So I don't know if it, it's earned a curse for just being dull. But it did try to get us involved in it, which it did not like. And you liked even less. Well, here's the thing. I think it was quite clever. The other movies did not try to do psychological warfare with me. (laughs) Pinocchio tried very hard, but it didn't. I, because I was going to suggest the third category, which is messed. (laughs) Just just nondescript. It's just like, a third category is a groan. But I, mm, I don't, I feel like it's kind of cursed. And I want to give it the benefit of being cursed instead of just a groan, because I was engaged. It made me think about my role as a reader and consumer of narrative goods, and it made me vow never to engage in stories again. (laughs) hate stories now because they might pull me in I don't want anything to do with it I think I'm going to call it cursed because I can't remember the plot Mm -hmm. and that distresses me like we've we've mentioned this before I've done two literature degrees remembering the plot of stuff is what I do and I cannot for the life of me remember what happens in this story Mm. we've just talked about it for an hour and I still could not give you a play-by-play of this movie. <laughs> I watched it on Sunday. There was what happened? No charming elements whatsoever. Who liked this? I, I've said this at least three times in this podcast. Who and why? Please tell me if you did and why. Is and it, I urge you to rewatch as an adult and reconsider. Because like, is it just the song you like? Because that's fine. Just like the song. Just it's like a jam. Song. Don't like the movie. You know what? I spent a lot of this movie thinking that I'd rather be, rather be watching. What? Space Jam. I do like Space Jam. Space Jam is fun. Yeah. It's engaging. I don't know why I'm bringing it up as a comparison because it's definitely not about the same thing. 
but I just thought, God, I'm just like craving Space Jam right now. <laughs> craving it. We're not watching Space Jam next episode because it's not a contender for Cursed or Blessed. It's I, blessed. I think. Space it's Jam blessed. is blessed. I do recommend watching something a little bit more lively though. So uh, on, on that note, I'm thinking, well, a movie that I know very well and very much enjoy and love. And that I have not seen. And that I think some people dislike because of, I've heard people call it historically inappropriate. <laughs> Things are going to get contentious next week. What are we watching? Elise? Shannon loves historical appropriateness. <laughs> <laughs> I did have a little freak out. We had to pause Return to Oz because I had a meltdown about the timeline of electroshock therapy versus the year the movie was set in. <laughs> I only get marginally annoyed about limestone. So I'm really curious to see what Shannon thinks of this next movie, which is of course Anastasia. I'm very much looking forward to this. I've never seen Anastasia. I didn't watch it as a kid. I don't like I vaguely know what it's about, but I I don't know the plot, so this is gonna be fresh eyes for me. <laughs> I've given Shannon the instructions to research the history of the Romanov family and do nothing else. Do not touch the plot of Anastasia. I want you to come into this knowing what happened in real life. Called our truth. So I'm going to do some uh, Russian history over the week and then we're going to see how I feel about Anastasia. And she might love it. I love it. You okay. love it. And by you, I mean the audience. Because I know we've hated the la all three of the movies we've watched, but I personally love to love things. Me too. I like. I don't like dunking on things all the time. I wanted to love the never-ending story. I've spent the entire of the last year, or no, the entire of the last half of the year defending Game of Thrones. I wrote my master's thesis on Pacific Rim. Yeah, people just need to like the. Stop dunking. Yeah. <laughs> Says someone who said they were craving Space Jam. <laughs> okay, that kind of dunking, that kind of dunking. Space Jam dunking, always appropriate. We That's should watch the... Space Jam anyway. We should watch Space Jam anyway as a treat for sitting through and enduring Pinocchio. Yeah. Return to Oz. The never-ending yeah. story. Jesus Christ, what are we doing to us? I really hope Anastasia is blessed. I think there are, you'll have fun even if you hate it. This, that's good. At least there are I, songs. I won't be bored, you know? And most important, we're jumping from the 80s to the 90s. Which is when we both grew up. We need a break from the 80s. The 80s are rough, man. The music's great. Yeah, I love I love me some synthesizers um, and some laser sound effects that are always inexplicably in 80s music. But you don't like lasers coming from Sphinx eyes. I don't like lasers coming from the eyes of CGI Sphinx. No. No. I don't love that. <laughs> But maybe I don't fully understand the 80s. Maybe we just didn't have full childhoods because we weren't, like, never-ending story stans. Yeah. But I was a Mary Poppins stan as a child. Mm. My mother used to put that on and she would take a nap while I sat and watched it. It's um, a good movie. 
I was a big fan of Mary Poppins. And Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which I haven't seen since I was a child and I think is a strong contender for a cursed Mm. film. Oh, a cursed film? (laughs) Not even blood? I think it's probably cursed. You're just remembering the child catchers. I'm remembering the child catchers and that's all I can remember about the movie. I don't know what else happens in it. And I watched it so many times as a child. I think the songs are probably cursed as well. Truly scrumptious. So truly, truly scrumptious. <laughs> um, I like The Aristocats. It was a good film. Yeah. That's a blessed film. I liked Mulan. Lilo and Stitch and The Emperor's yeah. New Groove. That Those was were my, my bags. But Lilo and Stitch was good. I liked Oliver and Company as well. I like it when the dog eats the sausages. That's you good. know the bit. I do know the bit. Sometimes um, when you're watching an animated movie, there's like this really visceral like animation of some food and you're like <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Those sausages that that dog eats. Yeah. Oh my god, that dog with the negative. Yep. The yummy. main one. I'm saying yum to the hot dogs, not the dogs. The one who's the dog is not a hot dog. <laughs> just to clarify. The one who's meant to be the artful dodger from Oliver Twist. Yeah. We're just thinking about movies we'd rather be watching. Yeah, and on that note, I, I think, in conclusion, we've watched three movies and felt very uncomfortable in the process. We're going to try and buck that trend by, by, by maybe mining interesting, blurst territory. Yeah. Seeing what Shannon has to say about the historical doodads that take place in Anastasia. And just generally, we're allowed to have a good time, right? Yeah, we can have fun. We don't have to always be watching the return to Oz of the world. (laughs) We don't have to watch some bad films (laughs) to have a good time. (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) And for more of my singing, tune in to Anastasia next week. (laughs) 